Hey, everyone. Welcome to Locked on Lakers for Wednesday. Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky. What's behind Rob Palenka's new philosophy for roster building? We'll tell you next. You are Locked on Lakers. Your daily Los Angeles Lakers podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. Thanks to everybody for making Locked on Lakers first listen of every day, Monday through Friday, no matter how or where you get your podcast. It's always going to be free and never behind a paywall. Locked on Lakers on YouTube is where you can go to watch the show, hang out with almost 21,000 subscribers uh, who are very active in the mailbag, which is great. We really appreciate it. Uh, we are using these questions. We're using a couple of them, as you can see, for those of you watching on the rail today. A lot of those questions are part of the show. I do want to let everybody know that today's episode is brought to you by Jace Medical. Empower yourself when you purchase a Jace case, providing you with a personal supply of five antibiotics to treat 50 uh, plus infections. Get yours today at jacemedical.com. That's J-A-S-E medical.com. I'm just going to assume that everybody knows how to spell the medical part, Andy. Um, so we got a couple of mailbag questions that we want to get to. And both I thought were pretty intriguing. And the first one, though, is related to yesterday's show. We spent a lot of time talking about uh, the Lakers and Rob Palinka and what appears to be a shift in how they're putting rosters together. Used to be, Andy, no long-term contracts. Nothing that goes beyond like, I don't know, basically I felt like everybody who worked there was on an hourly and could be cut as quickly as possible. Every summer was the summer of cap space and no long-term commitments needed into that. Now the Lakers have, if you look at their, um, their payroll, they've got multiple contracts going up multiple years. Um, it's a very different way of doing it. Yeah. We got this question from Ming Ming 37, just about what, what could have been the catalyst for this change? It, you know, is it LeBron is pending retirement? Um, the Westbrook experience, the new CBA, realizing that how Alex Caruso's eventual departure was handled, that was a mistake, decisions like that, um, combo of things, whatever. Um, but as Ming Ming pointed out, it can't be a new owner or new front office since that didn't change. I'm just curious and grateful. Um, the Seneca realist in me says that it's at least in part the result of there being no real superstar route for them to go. I mean, other than Kyrie Irving, which would have been impractical, whether you're talking about like all the infrastructure of your roster that would have been gutted or Kyrie needing to give up money in the process. The Lakers could not have paid him what he got in Dallas to say, of no say nothing of the risks that come with Kyrie, whether you're talking about injuries or him losing interest in playing basketball, like – there's just like a lot – there was a lot of, I don't know, limitations in terms yep. of the Lakers trying to go that route. It's not like there were a bunch of third stars, out, superstars out there, and Rob Palinka exercised extreme discipline in the face of this. But that being said – Well, I mean, it, but like to, to your point, though, like even if Kyrie wasn't Kyrie, like, you know – waves arms about like with all the baggage that comes with it even if like geez we kind of want the guy like legit like it's a good idea we want him to it still would have been really right impractical so it's 
I just say that only because some people would be like, oh, well, you know, it's Kyrie. Well, no, really, it was anybody. The idea that the Lakers could bring in a high-priced player this offseason was really impractical, even if it was a player that had fewer question marks than Kyrie. I mean, I'd go so far as to say if it wasn't Kyrie, it was basically impossible. Because there there was nobody else that would have been available that the Lakers could have fit into all of the cap space that they could have possibly mm-hmm. manufactured. Like, well, even if, know, they, even if there had, I'm just saying, even if there were two in a different year, there are two or three, just the, the they were not set up to be able to somehow get a $46 million. That's, that's my point. They would not have been able to manufacture like Damian Lillard, for example. I don't know his exact salary for 23, 24 off the top of my head. I just know the Lakers could not have created enough space to make it happen Right. Even if they wanted to, mm-hmm. you know, James Harden is not an option. Whether even if they had wanted to, thank God he's not an option. But I, it, that's not a possibility. You know what I'm saying? So like, it does make you feel like the, the the basketball gods are looking out for the Lakers by not making James Harden right. an option, not making Kyrie an option. It's just like you know, thank you. But that being said, though, it, it does. It does seem when you look at a bunch of different things Palinka's done since around the trade deadline of last season and, and even even getting I guess going back to the decisions that he didn't make in terms of the the contracts that he wouldn't have accepted for Russ I guess you know like he wasn't looking for just you know a bunch of expirings to create cap space for Russ mm-hmm. Russ toss in some draft picks to make it worth it whatever like maybe the the mistake that was Russell Westbrook, which was like the most extreme version possible of stars at all costs, you know, three-star model alongside LeBron and AD, maybe there were some lessons learned from that. You know, it also, look, there is an element of if it ain't broke, don't fix it. This is a team that just went to the Western Conference Finals. You have to come up with a really good reason to not try to run that back. Again, right. considering that—that's for considering sure. they well, yeah. I mean, considering they managed to do this, get to the Western Conference Finals, despite having no time to work together, and a lot of that period without LeBron, like it, it's diff, it's really difficult to make that argument. And frankly, I I imagine they recognized there would have been a lot of fans upset by it, as yeah. opposed to excited by bringing in Kyrie as talented as Kyrie is like oh I don't think I don't think a lot of people would have been I mean they're, no I, Kyrie Irving but it would not have been a popular move no at all no. Um, but I, I think even with a less polarizing star it may not have been as popular as the Lakers uh, would have expected or maybe it would have been in years past uh, I I think you know both of those things can be true like you can look at it and say Jeez, I wonder in on Earth Two if they had access to three or four stars and could have made it work, or they could have kept the last year's core together. Like, what would they have done? Like, which which thing would they have valued? Depth and continuity, or star and kind of the Phoenix model that they're working under star. And like, you know what? We'll 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 get some players somehow. And the Suns did okay, I, I think, about as good as you could do with their constraints, but they still have some depth itch- issues. There's there's no question about it. So I, I feel and, like... And look, just so it's clear, 
depending on who that star was, you know, it could have been somebody that you make a very strong, compelling case. No, clear out everything. Bring in that guy. You know what I mean? Like, like they'll do in two years for Giannis. Right. I mean, this idea that, you know, a a three-star model can't work, you know, Russ did not disprove that. What he did prove, though, was it can't just be anybody well, no, fit he be didn't, damned. He didn't disprove it because Russ isn't a star. Okay, sure. Anymore. That, but you, know, but you understand. But no, you no, know, that's like, that, but that's sure. But that's part of this. Like, you know, is Bradley Beal enough? Like to like I think the well Bradley you know, like, Beal at least fits alongside AD and LeBron sure. very well. But but like is he what I mean by that is like is he enough of a star? Is he that much of a talent that you make that except like you know if you could go get Jokic, okay, fine. You go get you know, Giannis, um, you know, Luca. I mean, like, there are certain guys that it's a no brainer. Um, but the big, the fundamental problem with, let me rephrase, a fundamental problem with Russ as part of your three star model is that Russ isn't a star in that in that definition anymore. Not anymore. There's, no, there's one other thing that uh, that I think is really uh, critical about this topic uh, that we'll get to before we get to the next mailbag question, Andy, which is all about Darvin Ham and uh, the heat of seats. Uh, we'll get to all of it next. Locked on Lakers is brought to you by Jace Medical. And if the past few years with the pandemic, natural disasters, unforeseen emergencies have taught us anything, it's that you have to expect the unexpected. Everyone should feel empowered to take care of themselves and for their loved ones when it feels like the world has gone sideways. You want to be prepared. And that's why Jace Medical offers the Jace case. The Jace case provides five life-saving antibiotics for emergency use, gives you peace of mind so that you're not just hoping that you have access to medication in an emergency, Jace Medical makes sure you have the medication in hand. Jace Medical is simple. They handle everything from the online evaluation. I've done it. Brian's done it. It's really easy to licensed pharmacy medication delivery to ongoing con- consultation and care. You don't want to get caught unprepared. And you can save more than $360 by getting these life-saving antibiotics with Jace Medical plus an additional 20 bucks off by using the code locked on at the checkout on jacemedical.com. That's J A S E medical.com, promo code locked on. So we'll get to the question about Darwin here in just a second. But the, the last thing I want to, I, I kind of want to say about this is this, this year becomes critical in so many ways. Like, you know, there's the LeBron factor. Like, how many more years do you get of LeBron? Like, Anthony Davis gets a year older every year, and, you know, a little bit more injury prone, whatever it might be. Like, but, I mean, really, especially in the context of LeBron, Andy, like, the, the year you have in front of you is the most important LeBron year. Um, and so, you know, this window with him just has a natural expiration date. But the other thing that I think is critical now, when you kind of step back, in the context of this conversation we're having, the Lakers made this change. They made, you know, they pivoted in this direction, whether it's because it was the best idea. They thought it was like, you know what, we're doing it wrong. Let's, let's do it differently. Or they just didn't have another option. There was no good plan B that doesn't last forever. You know, they can, that, you know, the stars at all costs mentality can come back this year in a lot of ways, I think serves as a confirmation of the philosophy whether they got into it on purpose or 
uh, accidentally or somewhere in the middle. If you go out and you have another Western Conference Finals run, you get one round further, you make it to the finals, you win a championship. It starts to really validate the, the approach and the roster philosophy that goes along with it. Doesn't mean you never make trades. Doesn't mean you don't look for another star. LeBron's going to leave at some point, and a star is going to come replace him. That that much we know. Um, but I do think this year becomes important for sort of validating the direction that they've taken. Well, I would like to think that if, say, they only get to the Western Conference semifinals, they don't decide that this was an absolute disaster of a mistake, and they panic and they trade everybody away for nothing. Just trying to create as much right. cap. Okay, maybe there's something in between. <laughs> I, I, I'd like to think that they don't have that rash of reaction. We like, need more I, cap I, space. I, 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 cap space again. I understand that this organization has a long, like decades long ethos of it is always about the stars and nobody else matters. Right. Um, you know, other than like a select handful of really awesome role players that if you know if they're part of any other organization they would have their jerseys retired we've had this conversation many times i'd like to think that they'd be more disciplined but yeah i mean if if nothing else it's going to i think it could have it could inform this approach but make them feel like just because it worked once doesn't mean you want to automatically recommit to it to the degree that the lakers have mm-hmm and I look, and I I fully expect that there will be transactions over the next few years. It's not like, you know, you sign Jared Vanderbilt, Austin Reeves, uh, Rui Hachimura, whatever. Like you, you, these are your dudes for the next like. Like no, Gabe like, Vincent, Gabe Vincent. Like there's there will be transactions, but what I don't think you'll end up is with these set. What I hope that we won't end up with anymore are these setups where like your longest tenured Laker. Is like there is like in it's in his like third season or second yeah. season. It was like that Anthony for Davis, LeBron. right? Anthony Davis is going to be here for a little while, but you know the supporting cast behind your star. You don't want all of them to be in year one or year two with the franchise. This Look, is not good. You know, we 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 talked about intriguing Western Conference teams, and I guess you know the Lakers. We neither one of us really we call call them exciting. We call them um, you know very good. But I, we both kind of feel like we know what they are. But it, this is one of those sort of overarching kind of long-term themes that, that sort of run through it. Uh, more mailbag, Andy. Um, this one from who? Uh, Scott Sanchez. From was this on the this is on the YouTube page, I believe. No, no, he emailed us. Oh, it's from an email. All oh, right, you're right. At Kamenetskybrothers at gmail.com. Yep. Um, and he. He had a few questions for us, but the one in particular that we wanted to get to, he said, Coach Ham, it was surprising last summer that he didn't choose a veteran head coach as an assistant. How long does he have this season with a very good roster before a change is needed, meaning some new assistants because Ham has still still has at least another season before he's on the hot seat? Um, what I thought was interesting about that question that jumped out at me at first was just the idea that Darvin Ham may not have someone on his staff that's been a head coach before, but he actually has a very experienced staff. Yeah, the, well, for people that don't, it's uh, it's Chris Gent is the lead assistant. He's been um, he's been an assistant for like twenty years. I'm just looking at it now. Sixers in starting in basically 2003 2004 is when he broke in with the Sixers, and he's he's been on staffs uh, consistently since then. 
Right. Uh, Phil Handy's been a part of three championship staffs, uh, the Lakers, obviously, but also Cleveland and Toronto. Jordan Ott has several years under his belt um, as an assistant. Like you compare that to, you know, we covered Brian Luke Walton, his time as head coach. And, you know, while we liked Luke and we, you know, we knew him going back to the time we covered him as a player and both of us thought he had really high potential as a head coach that thus far has not been met. And it was surprising to both of us, but that guy had a staff that was insanely and, and frankly, criminally mm-hmm. inexperienced. Like it was yeah. other than Brian Shaw, it was basically a bunch of his buddies from university of Arizona who like played in the league. <laughs> and I mean, a lot, I'm look, a lot of them, Jed Bushler, I know, you know, Jesse Merman is like, these guys all know a lot about the game, but for a lot of them, their first time in the NBA on any staff was with Luke Walton, who had just started as a head coach. Like, so you, you know, but you you compare that to like when the Rams hired Sean McVay, who I think was 31, 30, 31, 30, like he was like, insanely young when they he's still him. not 40 yet. No, so. he's not. Jerk. <laughs> but um uh he they, they, they put him with Wade Phillips as a defensive coordinator. Like they gave him not just experience, but like tons of experience. And that, you know, I, I think they didn't do Phil, uh, uh, Frank Vogel any favors when they put Jason Kidd with uh, with him because, as we all remember, it was basically like Jason Kidd and like a knife, a dagger in the other hand. We were all just well, waiting. The Lakers made it obvious who they really wanted to hire as the head coach was Jason Kidd. But because of the optics with the off the court stuff and, you know, past domestic violence incidents with Jason Kidd, they did not feel comfortable making that hire to make him head coach. They just insisted that whoever they hired put Jason Kidd on the staff. And then if they would fire that guy, Jason Kidd would happen to be there. And the Lakers like, well, you know, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Yeah. I mean, they, they were comfortable paying him. They just weren't comfortable making him head coach, which is a distinction without a difference that frankly was ridiculous. Yeah. So. You know what? What the Lakers did with Darwin was, gave, you know, you have Phil Handy, you have Chris Gent, and you have experience. And Darwin Ham, by the way, Darwin came in with a tremendous amount of of experience as an assistant. So I mean, like it is a little Darwin's bit, put that, in his time, right? Not that Frank, you know, Frank had been a head coach before. It's not like he, but like you know, it is first time with the Luke Walton comparison, first time head coaches are not all the same. And Luke had a lot of time as an assistant as well. And he did run, you know, the, you know, for Steve Kerr in gold. But again, different deal. That was still Steve Kerr's team. This was Luke Walton's. Um, They, you know, they, Darwin has a pretty experienced staff. He just doesn't have somebody that you're going to look to right away and be like, Oh, that's the guy who will be the head coach after they fire Darwin. The part. So, I mean, like, but I'm not surprised that they didn't add. No, to the no, no. But let's 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 break and then we'll come back and, and kind of really get more into the 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 meat of the question here because there's uh, both the the idea of does he need a different mix of assistance? What would they? What might they do to shake things up? But there's also an aspect of this question that I think is really important to acknowledge. So I want to do both those things next. Locked on Lakers brought to you by FanDuel, and you can celebrate this NFL season with incredible offers from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. And right now, new customers can bet just $5, 5 bucks, and you get 200 back in bonus bets, guaranteed. And you can use those bonus bets on spreads, on player props, over-unders, futures, all sorts of different fun stuff. 
And all customers who bet $5 get $100 off NFL Sunday ticket from YouTube and YouTube TV makes now the best time to join FanDuel. The app is really easy to use. Great user experience. All these different options right at your fingertips. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and celebrate the NFL season with an offer you don't want to miss. FanDuel, the official partner of the NFL. So, I mean, I to to get to Scott's question here, I don't, I don't think they'll make moves inside the season. I do not think they would shake up Darwin's staff while the year is going on. That seems, I don't think that would happen. Um, I also don't know where they would go get somebody. I mean, that doesn't happen. Period. No, like, it doesn't really. I, I can't um, remember that ever happening for any team, any coach. Period. Right. I do think, though, the Lakers disappoint that you know there could be some some shakeups in the off season in terms of the staff. Um, but that gets to the other part of of Scott's question, which I think is is important um, because Darvin has you know he acknowledges that Darvin has at least a year before he would be on the hot seat. Um, I I am I, I'm I'm sure there's somebody still out there who thinks that, that Darvin may not be on you know they don't like him they don't think he did a good job last year they don't and they don't think he deserves to be on particularly solid ground but it is nice to see um rational uh understanding that darvin ham short of doing something like illegal this year is not going to be fired during the season oh i mean oh you know it's they lose their 32 of their first 36 games or something okay maybe but under anything even kind of normal no, but it's pretty obvious when we read the comments section in on the YouTube page or you know, a lot of the commentary we get on Twitter at Cam Brothers, the Laker fans have not bought into Darvin Ham. Like they just have not bought into him mm-hmm. as a coach. I think they feel like the team succeeded in spite of him as opposed to because of him. And look, there there were certain things we saw with Darvin over the course of last season where I thought he could be slow to make certain adjustments, particularly the ones that moved him out of either his comfort zone or his preferred style of play. Like the Memphis series, for example, the opening one in last year's playoffs, I thought it took Darvin way too long to recognize that he needed to take Malik Beasley and or Troy Brown out of the rotation and give those minutes to Wenyan Gabriel because they needed Mm -hmm. a third forward-sized body to help in those non-AD minutes because even with LeBron and Rui out there, they were just getting crushed on the glass. They were getting crushed inside. It took way too long to finally put Wenyon into those minutes. And by the way, the minute Wenyon started playing, the Lakers ran away with it. Second round, though, against Golden State, I thought Darvin coached his ass off. I thought he was fantastic in that series. And then against Denver, other than game one, where for the life of me, I don't understand why he's open with that small lineup. And I think at I think that was a big reason that they lost game one. It's like one of the few times where I think you can look at a coach's decision and say the coach lost them a game, like because of his decisions. But then he went back to a normal lineup. And to be totally honest, the biggest problem he had was Denver was better than them. And there's only so much a coach can do when the other team is just better. And by the way, coached by a really good, you know, really good coach himself and Mike Malone. And nobody and no no coach is perfect, um, particularly in the playoffs. And a lot of times, you know, coaching errors, which are sometimes mistakes of 
you know, that are, that are, you know, things you can recognize as mistakes going in and sometimes are deemed mistakes based on the results. Sure. Um, and so like, but coaches who win series, Mike Malone did things wrong during the playoffs. I'm sure it happened. Um, you know, he made decisions, you know, pick, put the wrong guy in. The, the, the difference is that team was so good and so cohesive that you didn't really notice, like it was okay. Like you didn't see those mistakes and they didn't hurt the nuggets in any significant way. I mean, I, we, we should put it up like, you know, we, tomorrow we're hoping to have our, our, our guest. Um, so this would have to wait until Friday's show. Um, but we should put that up. Just simple question. Have you bought into Darwin? We can put it on the community page on YouTube. We can put it on, uh, on Twitter at cam brothers and get that, you know, see what people say. I'm, I don't know. Like I, I, I there's definitely a sec, a, a healthy section of li- the Laker fan base who I 100% agree have not. But I, I wonder if there's more. I'm wondering if we're maybe underestimating, perhaps. So it'd be a good question to ask. Where are you on that question in terms of of buy-in? In terms of how I feel about Darvin, yeah, I liked. Oh, on balance, I liked. I liked what. We saw in Darwin. Yeah. Um, first of all, his ability to keep that locker room together under really adverse circumstances, that's important. Like that is a big part of your job biggest. as head coach. Like biggest. Yeah. It's a huge part of what is supposed to be there. He got immediate buy-in. It was pretty clear from this group very quickly. I think he handled the Russ situation about as well as anybody could. I think he did it in a way that, you know, he he did what was necessary, but I thought he treated Russ with an incredible amount of respect and, you know, reverence that, look, Russ is not the guy that he used to be. The fit was awful. Russ can be a maddening player to watch. But the truth is the guy is a Hall of Famer. He deserves a certain degree of respect purely because who he is. It doesn't mean he should get his way all the time, which he didn't, but there's a certain amount of, you need to just acknowledge who this guy is. And I think Darwin walked that line really well. This team played incredible defense, the overwhelming majority of the season, despite having personnel that at times was not, I think on Certainly paper. Played above, they played above water. Right. I think. Um, yeah. I think there are areas for him to grow, but as a, as an inaugural season on a team with expectations. I liked far more of what we saw from Darwin than didn't. Yeah. I mean, look, I think there are, you know, Eric Spolstra. Okay. You know, certain guys can take anything and maximize it in ways that are just, but that guy's a genius. And I think the best coach in the NBA, arguably one of the best coaches, you know, the two or three best coaches the last 30 years. Um, You know, he, I think has, has shown himself to just be that good. Um, there are a couple other guys who are around who are like that, but like, I mean, like Mike Budenholzer won a title and is gone, you know, like guys, you know, Frank Vogel won a title. He's gone. Um, I think most coaches, if you give them something good to work with, you know, can get you, there's a big chunk of coaches, at least that if you give them something good to work with, they can get you good results. And the Lakers, the minute they gave Darwin something more reasonable to work with, got good results. But part of the reason I agree with you that they got those good results was because he had kept them 
invested all year long. If they had checked out for a moment leading into February, those moves wouldn't have panned out. Because I don't know if they would have made the moves to begin with. They might not have, but like the even if they did, they, they wouldn't have had the same impact because the the they would have been you know mentally would have been starting with a team that was two, three or four or five steps behind and couldn't have cranked it up um, with the energy and the effort and the intensity and the togetherness that they did. Um, so the work that Darwin did, even while they were sort of treading around 500, a little below 500 and all that kind of stuff is what set the stage, I think, for this other prosperity to happen. So, you know, I don't think he's one of the five best coaches in the NBA, but it's also unreasonable to think that he would be in his second season that good. Um, he's not a liability. I think by any stretch of the imagination, he's not a liability. I think it'll be fun to watch this year to see with a different roster that he enters training camp with that he's been able to plan for. Like, what do they do? What what tweaks? And we'll look to the the guys who really are great at looking under the hood and make sure we're having them on the show or bringing you some of that analysis, you know, from and like, what is he doing differently this year with different personnel? That to me is a a huge thing. How do you maximize the players you have? Um, how do you adjust to the the skill sets of new guys? Um, but I think he's up for that. I don't and, I, you know. And, and his staff, I think, is up for that. And look, Darvin, the bar will be raised for him in his second season. Like there mm -hmm. will be and should be less tolerance for certain mistakes. Your second year on the job with a better roster than your first year. Yeah. But no I, I agree. There was much more that I liked from Darvin than didn't like. Real quick before we go, just because I thought this was cool. Uh, Jared Vanderbilt was on, I don't remember the name of the podcast, but he was asked about the players that he grew up watching. Because, you know, Jared Vanderbilt is kind of an unusual player. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, stylistically and some of the things that he does well, the things he doesn't do well. You know, the, he's got a decent amount of versatility. And he said that the two players that he watched a lot and tried to pattern his game after growing up were Penny Hardaway, um, you know, big guard, and Lamar Odom. And LO saw this and tweeted out to Jared Vanderbilt, game recognized game, always appreciate it when the young bulls show love for the work that I put in, especially coming from a Laker that's a lefty. So I just thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, um, it is. And it's, I also like when guys, who was it last year who like picked out, was it? Who it was the who said their their role on it was KCP? Is it Demoy Hodge? Yes, is that, who that is who about? it is. Demoy like, Hodge. I love yes. it when guys kind of recognize. I don't like you know where they are. Like you know, KCP's role player or whatever. But like Lamar isn't a Hall of Famer. He's not like you know you're 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 kind of calling out a guy because you appreciate the style, you appreciate the skill set, you appreciate and, and I just like when people appreciate Lamar Odom because yes, it, Lamar is easy. Is given the the trouble that he is is had um you know at the end of his career and into his retirement it's easy to forget just how good a player he was just how he was a great player and an awesome person just one, a of, really, one of both of our absolute favorite athletes we have ever been around i i actually wrote a piece for the athletic a few years ago about how lamar's like my favorite like i know he's not the best athlete i've ever seen or you know recovered or whatever but he may very well be my favorite just because yeah. 
a lot of talent, but impossible to dislike. Uh, Locked on Lakers on YouTube is where you can go to see the show, hang out with over 20,000 subscribers. Again, big guest we are planning on having tomorrow. Should be a lot of fun. Um, and uh, we'll, so we'll be back tomorrow and uh, through the rest of the week. Everyone have a good day.